Okay, this morning we have a little bit of time left, just a little bit, uh, to take a look at uh, your continuing study of 1 Corinthians. And it is one of my favorite books as well. Um, 1 Corinthians is a really amazing book. And uh, it is a book that uh, Paul had written to a group of Christians. And in fact, this is not the only letter. He had written a number of letters and only two survived. And this is one letter that had been gone around, but mainly because the Corinthian church is such a rich blessed church and it's been really richly blessed because God had blessed the church with many many things and one of which is spiritual gifts but also God had blessed them with many problems um, if we know that problems helps us to mature and uh, without problems we won't grow and the more we have problems the more we learn from the problems the more we are able to grow and be mature in Christ so uh, this is the book that is really interesting now chapter 8 in fact I was told to preach on chapter 8 and 9 I'm sorry I cannot do two chapters in one service in fact chapter 8 alone could have taken us one and a half hours so let's stay for one and a half hours and maybe the 11.30 service you can join us afterwards um Chapter 8 alone has so much to offer us because most of us understand that chapter 8 deals with food offered to idols. Uh, Some only knew about this chapter that has been food offered to idols because that's the main thrust of the whole uh, chapter. And many of us look at this chapter and say, hey, this is a fantastic uh, chapter to take a look at uh, how, especially for us in Asia and in Singapore, um, we have uh, many of us come from non-Christian homes and some of our non-Christian homes uh, have food offered to idols at home. And as Christians, should we eat it? I think in our days, when we were younger, uh, that was one big major problem that we have to struggle with. And this chapter happened to be the chapter that deals with it, and we often come back to it. And very often I tell people, when you finish studying First Corinthians chapter 8, you're going to walk out this place and become a vegetarian. Because that's exactly what Paul tells us in the last verse of chapter 8. Okay, if, if I eat meat and it causes somebody else to stumble, I will never eat meat again. Okay, so if you walk out from this place, understand what it means, then you would understand that Paul is saying something else. Now, the context of this chapter, Paul was answering questions asked uh, by the Corinthians. In fact, in chapter 7, which you have dealt with, uh, Paul answered six questions pertaining to marriage. And here in this chapter, you are a Christian and living in the times of Corinth. At the time when this letter was written, you will have a problem. Because meat sold in the market and eating places were many meats having been already been offered to idols. And so you cannot eat meat, or very hardly any opportunity that you can eat meat that is not already been offered to idols. And so the problem is, do you eat meat or not eat meat? Okay, that's the issue for us. Uh, why is that so? Because when priests in Corinth, pagan temples, received food or meat offered to idols, it was their salary. Okay, so people, the worshippers would come to pagan temples, they would make their offering, and their offering would be meat, and they would be offered to the idols, and those meat offered to idols would be given to the priests. And the priests would take them home. Now, they cannot finish eating all those meat. And so there will be leftovers. What do they do? They bring it back out to the market to be sold. And so you are out there buying meat, taken back out from the priest. You know, the worshippers come, make the offering, and then he can't finish them. He brings it out to the market and sell it back to the people. 
I, I, I'm sure some of those meat will have gone, uh, been offered again and come back around and go back to the market. Now, that's the first thing. Now, second thing you need to understand is almost every other building in Corinth at that time, which is a public building, uh, where you may have, say, like a hawker or food court, those meats that are sold in those eating places will also meat have already been offered to idols. And so you cannot go out and say have a bowl of wonton meat, you know, the char siu or the wonton and the meat in there have already been offered to idols. So unless you don't eat outside, then you would not have that problem. But then where do you get your meat? You still have to buy your meat from the market. And so the issue has been for them, this is really an issue. If you are an, a vegetarian, you don't have this problem. All right? But if you are not, then you will have to deal with this problem. Now, also understand that in Corinth, there are two camps in the church of Corinth. The first group thought that they were theologically sophisticated, mature Christians who recognized that there is only one God, Jehovah. And therefore, they have no problem, no worry about idols, because idols are nothing. And so, what do they do? They say, so if idols are nothing, then food offered to idols are also nothing. And so, if I am so sophisticated, theologically speaking, then I have no problem eating those food offered to idols. Alright, so they go around and say, hey, excuse me, you know, this food is nothing. Don't worry about it, just go ahead and eat. Let's go into all those public places and eat whatever they serve you because meat offered to idols are nothing. Now there's another group, or there was another group who believed in also in one God, but who would not exclude the spiritual reality all right, of other gods. And they truly have a problem eating those foods that have already been offered to idols. Now this group of Christians also go to the same church in Corinth. And these two groups would come together and they would argue. And they would debate. And they would say, hey, where, how can we solve this problem? And so, this is where Paul came in. So they wrote a letter to Paul and said, Paul, we have this problem. Uh, food offered idols. One group says it's nothing. The other group says, well, there are spiritual realities to those food. Uh, if we eat them, we may get into spiritual problems and so on and so forth. And we have been having this debate going on and we cannot solve this debate and we don't solve the debate, we're going to split the church, you know. Uh, so that's the problem. And so Paul had to write a letter to them and say, hey, you need to deal with this problem. And this chapter 8 is a response to that problem. Alright, so I'd like you to understand that and uh, Paul understood their problem and identified with them. He was clearly on the side probably of the majority that say food is nothing, uh, food offered to idols is nothing. But he also believed that God is sovereign and God is also working in the hearts of other people who have other concepts and ideas and beliefs who may not have the full understanding, but nevertheless, whatever they are facing are real. And so we cannot say, hey, I brushed you aside because you don't believe what I believe in, and therefore you are nothing as well. And so Paul tells them, well, you have to be careful. If you cause somebody else to fall as a result of how you think, what you believe, you're going to cause problems in the church. And so this is the issue here. Now, I want you also to understand that Paul is not an anti-intellectual. Okay? And especially if you go and read this chapter again, you know how many times he mentioned the word knowledge? Okay, you read it again. It's a, knowledge. It's about knowledge. It's not so much about food offered to idols. See verse 2. 
Alright? Now concerning food offered to idol, hmm, we know that all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge passes up, but love builds up. Alright? And yet you know, ought to know, but you don't know, you know. So he talks about knowledge and what you know and what you don't know, and what you should know, and how knowledge should build you up. And so Paul dealt with 1 Corinthians 15.34. He said, Wake up from a drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. If you don't have knowledge of God, then you don't know God. And if you don't know God, you can't respond to Him. And so knowledge is important. You need to know God on a personal level. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, what this verse is talking about is that many of the people in Israel saw the miracles of God in their lives. And yet, they do not believe. And so he's saying, no, you see miracles, you know what is going on, and yet you cannot accept them. Now, what kind of knowledge is that? Okay. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul also tells about knowledge. That their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And Paul says, you need to understand and know the mystery of God. What is God's mystery? It's found in the Word. If you know God's Word, you know what it is. And so Paul is not anti-intellectual. Now, if we can summarize the book of Proverbs, this is how the summary would go. He who doesn't know and thinks he knows is a fool. Shame him. He who knows and doesn't know he knows is asleep. Wake him up. He who knows and knows that he knows is wise. Follow him. Now, I want to add one. Paul has something else added in here, in this chapter. He says, He who knows that he knows and is willing to surrender his knowledge by the love manifested in Christ is mature. Follow him. Alright? So, knowledge is important. And uh, as you take a look at knowledge, I have seven points. Let us go very quickly. If you have your outline with you, uh, that will be very helpful. Let us Go through this seven point on what real knowledge is, and then we can understand what Paul is trying to tell us about food offered idols. Verse 1. Real knowledge bows before love. Knowledge pops up, Paul says. Uh, when we say knowledge pops up, it is like a hot air balloon. When you pump hot air in there, the balloon will rise. When you pump cold air, cold air heavy, and the balloon will sink. Alright, so uh, hot air is being compared with people who are hot-headed, you know, emotional. Uh, they usually get puffed up because they let emotion takes over them. So they are thinking, their understanding is being thrown to the wind and they swell. And up to a point when they have too much in there, boom, they'll burst or they'll fall. Alright, and yet, very interestingly, in Greek, the word puffs up is actually a construction term. And when you say puffs up here, it is talking about a building. It is a building that is not inflated like a tent. Okay, a tent. You need to build up a tent. And some of us have seen that kind of tent. Uh, you pump air into the tent and it will be held up by the tubes on the, like a pillar. And they are the actually air, filled up with air. And so when you 
blow it up, you know, it will be held up that way. But if you let off the air, the whole building will collapse and come down. Now, he says that if you do not puffed up or do get puffed up, then you will bring about stability, you bring about steadiness. And that can only be done when you do so with love. So real knowledge has to be balanced with love. It cannot be just knowledge alone. And you cannot go around and say, I know more than you. And therefore, I do what I like, I do what I believe is right, and you are wrong. But Paul says, hey, wait. You need to exercise love. You cannot just base on knowledge and say, hey, I know more than you. So, knowledge is important. I remember a story once of a man who went to a conference, and there were two pastors, one eloquent, theologically deep, knowledgeable. He was so convincing with all his points. People take down notes and listen and some went up to the speaker. Can I have a recording of what you have said? You know, that's fantastic speaking uh, message that you have got. Then the second pastor came out. The second pastor came from a poor uh, uh, suburb uh, uh, place far away from the city and uh, all he was dealing with were members living in the pasture land and they were dealing with sheep and cows and, and uh, farms. And they came by and he talked. And he talked about his ministry with those people in his congregation. And he said how love is, how people are drawn to Christ because of these hard-working people out there. And the kind of life that they've been through have taught him many things about humility. And he talks about what love and humility was. And at the end of his talk, people quietly sat there and sobbing away and turned to Christ and said, God, you have taught me something today. And people responded to Christ. One have knowledge, the other one have love. Who would you follow? Both. Number two, real knowledge not only bows before love, but real knowledge blushes before pride. Verse two. All right. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Arrogance cancels out knowledge. Pride is never a sign of a learned man. If one thinks he knows a lot, he knows nothing. Note the word, imagine. Things he knows. Uh, many people think he knows a lot. Uh, some of us think we know a lot, and therefore we become proud about what we think we know. And when we are proud about what we think we know, you actually do not know. And when you base on what you think you know, you are one of the first to fall when you are found out to be wrong. And so we need to stand up and say, Hey, am I a victim of pride? Am I being too proud of what I think I know? And before you think you know or talk about what you think you know, think about the pride. And because that would bring you down. I remember one time when I went to a big church to preach. It was my first, second year of my ministry way back, I think, in the early 80s. Um, it was a big church and uh, I was really nervous because there was a thousand over people waiting to be uh, for, for my delivery of the sermon. I thought, wow, you know, it's a fantastic feeling. As a young pastor, there was something for me. And I went up and I sat next to the senior pastor and the senior pastor was seeing me a few times. 
And because my leg was shaking and my hands were cold and perspiration just coming down, and he touched me on the thigh and said, Peter, you're here to deliver God's word, not a performance. I think I know, and I was filled with pride. That will be a four. Number three, real knowledge is born before recognition. Verse three, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. In other words, God exists before I exist. In fact, God exists before we all exist. There's no other way around that. God knows us personally. Uh, Before we were born, we are known even by the number of hairs or by no hair, you know. Uh, God knows us. And how we become, God knows that. And so Paul says, as we love God, we are known by God. And the more we have that, that in that relationship of what love is, then it is really what God would know about you. I remember a sci-fi movie, there was a conversation between these two characters. The first one says, you have memorized the names of all the stars in the universe. Wow, how did it go? second one said, wonderful. And then the first one asked, so, how many stars are there, by the way? And the second one said, I don't know. What? Didn't you say you memorized all the names of all the stars? And this is his reply. Yes, I did. But what does knowing how many stars there are, anything to do with knowing their names? God knows you. And me, and all of us. Isn't that enough? Would you want to go around and ask, God, how many do you know? No. God knows. And that's important. If God knows because of His love for us, then God knows you and not me. And that's important as a principle for us to deal with this problem of food offered to idols. And we look at those weaker brothers and say, God knows you too. No matter what weakness you may have, God knows you because He loves you as well. Number four. Real knowledge busks before truth. Verses four to six. Therefore, as to eating of foods offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, whom, from whom all things and from who, for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we all, uh, whom are all things and through whom we exist. There are very few verses in the Bible that directly touches on demonology. And I believe that this is one of them. And when you, I think next week when you do chapter 10, uh, there would be a bit more on demonology. I do not know uh, what the speaker would deal with, but if I am to deal with chapter 10, I would have to talk about demonology. Because there is a hint of it here, and I wouldn't be dealing with it this morning because it's not uh, within my scope of reference. But it is important for us that to know that verse 6 deals primarily with faith. It is an absolute statement of truth based on what truth is, uh, or what truth represents. Here, Paul says, Truth is based on Jesus Christ. And you know Jesus Christ, you know truth. So if anyone is to boast, he has to boast about the truth. 
not about what he thinks he knows. And so it is important to understand that in truth we have security, nothing else. So if you do not know the truth, then you don't have security. And so we can only boast, so to say, on the truth. So what is the truth? So while we say to our weaker brothers, excuse me, put off the idols is really nothing. But if that's how you believe, I will help you to understand the truth. But if you have not yet understand the truth, I would want to go along with you. I, want to, I don't want to stumble you, but I want to teach you. I want to help you to understand. And I cannot help you to understand by being proud about what I know, but based on what my love is, what God has given to me. And that's the way Paul says we need to deal with people who are weaker in our faith. And so the truth has to shine first in knowledge. And so you need to first understand what the truth is. So we cannot go around and tell people, hey, that's wrong. We need to ask, do you really know the truth? Do you understand the truth? Have you got the truth? And that's the real issue for us. Number five, real knowledge blinks before process seven to ten. Um, I won't read that passage because we have already done that and you can follow along. Now, God works in the lives of His people almost always through a process. Through history, through a sequence of events. And just take a look at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you'll understand how God works. How God, step by step, led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land. How He had for time, when the time is right, Galatians 4.4, 4, to bring about Jesus Christ. And everything happens as in a process. Look at our own lives. Our lives is a process. Who you are today is an accumulation of all that had gone on from the day you were born up to today. All the experiences, all the things you have learned, all the things that you have been exposed to, uh, the wonderful lessons, good and bad, positive and negative, makes you who you are. If you are bitter today because of something that happened in the past, you are bitter today because of something in the past. If you are happy today because something you know had helped you to be happy and to look at life in a positive way, then that's because something had happened in the past. And that's the process. And every one of us have to understand that process because you are who you are for what had happened. Now, what is the problem? The uh, problem is... For a lot of us, we don't understand our past, we don't understand who we are, and therefore we can't go on to the future and say, hey, God, what do you want me to do? Because the moment you understand the past, you understand where you are today, as an accumulation of the past, then you realize that God is preparing you for the future. The moment you understand today because of the past, then you understand what God wants you to accomplish as you go on into the future. And so that's the process. And so real knowledge is to help us understand that we have to know that God is working in our lives. If God is working in your lives, God is also working simultaneously in the lives of all the other people, including those who have weaker understanding of the faith. And so if that's the case, then God is telling you, now be patient with those people because they have a process they have to complete. You may be a little faster than them, you have completed the process, you have a better understanding, but that does not give you the right to take advantage of those who are slower, who are coming from behind. 
And so when you understand that, then you say, hey, excuse me, I identify with you. I went through that. If I were at that point, then I wouldn't have appreciated someone coming to come down on me. And that's what we need to understand. And Paul says, you have your knowledge, use it for the kingdom of God. Because once you fail to understand the process, you fail to understand what God wants you to do. Okay, number 6, 11 and 12. Real knowledge bridges before Christ. From God's perspective, through the lenses of Jesus Christ, we must be able to make connections. Alright, we have to always in our lives, whether we are in mission in China or whatever you do, in your workplace or your, your relationship, your neighbors next door, you are not to be building walls, but bridges. You need to have an open door policy. You do not go around and say, you are wrong, you believe in the wrong God. But we need to understand and think from how people understand from that perspective. Barbara Mandrell, I don't know how many of you know that name. I think the, those of you who know the name, please don't raise your hand because I know how old you are. Because Barbara Mandrell was famous in the 70s and 80s. She, if you, especially if you listen to country music, you will know who Barbara Mandrell is. And uh, she is the only lady performer who had won the best female vocal Two times in a row. Barbara Mandra, one time when she went to a concert and when she finished the concert and walking down the aisle and all the people were cheering and shouting and screaming for her and there was one lady she saw uh, was extremely ugly and one look at her and said, oh no, I'm not going to look at her again, you know, and there are people who are like that and she said, I, I want to find some way I want to avoid that because it's, she's just plain so ugly. And then this lady stood up and raised up her hand and with a book and, and in the other hand and a pen here and waving for Barbara Mandrell to sign for her autograph. And as she stood up, Barbara Mandrell saw her belt. And her belt says, Jesus loves me too. And that changed her attitude. She went to the girl, signed an autograph, sat down and talked with her and today... They are closest of friends. There are people sometimes who would seem to you as the ugliest of people that you want to avoid at all costs. But perhaps they are the ones waiting for you to build bridges, to link up. And as you look at a wicked brother and say, hey, you are not worthy of my relationship. But what did God say? Built bridges. Because Christ look at us and say, You are not worthy because you went against me, you sinned against me, you did all kinds of things to turn against me. But Christ says, I love you anyway. And I gave my life for you. So, that's important for us as we think about what it means. Lastly, real knowledge breaks a fall before hurt. Christians have liberty and freedom. But we must never abuse it. And we should use it, and we should not use it to judge others. Um, at home, on our fridge, uh, there is a sticker there, and uh, we have put that there for a long, long time. 
And uh, uh, although that particular sticker has been gone, I can still imagine it uh, there because the words have stuck on in my mind. The words there says, the right to do something does not always mean that doing it is right. So some of us say, I have my right. I know my right. And it is my right to do it. But sometimes, the right to do something does not mean that doing it is right. In fact, if you do it in the wrong time, you can have the devastating effect. We do not live in this world alone. We have people around us. And my freedom and your freedom is not merely as important as the wholeness of the community. If my freedom costs me to become a stumbling block to someone, make a sacrifice for If what you are going to do causes somebody to fall, be willing to make a sacrifice. Paul says, if I, by eating meat offered to idols, cause somebody to fall, I will never eat meat again. Okay, think about it. This is really what it requires of us in Romans 14. Romans 14, verses 7 to 10. Maybe you have not got a time to, to turn to it, but remember, 14, Romans 14, 7 to 10. He says, for none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. And so then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, and that we might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all, listen to this carefully, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. One fine day, you and I will be judged. And you will be, we will all be standing before God and we will be answering questions. And God could ask you, why do you insist on eating meat offered to idols when it costs your brother to fall? And you will have to answer that question. Alright, now of course, it is not just about eating meat offered to idols. It is about many other behaviors, many other issues in our lives. If there are things that you do that will cause your brother to fall, make a sacrifice. This is what God says to us. I hope you think about it and really understand what He is telling you. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love and your patience with us and how you in your own way, given us the example of what love really means. And we thank you for Paul and the way he had answered the question of the Corinthians and dealing with uh, very tricky issues that they have. And yet this had helped us to understand one very important principle in our own lives, what it means for us to truly love our neighbors and our fellow Christians and be willing to make sacrifices to show our love for them. Use us, Lord, for your honor, your kingdom, and your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.